Welcome to the Five Smooth Stones podcast with Daniel Watts, the director of the EGM Institute. We moved our little family to Krakow, Poland in 1991 and immediately immersed ourselves in the language and culture learning process. There were very few foreigners in the city and we spent our time with Polish people building a new Polish life. A neighboring Polish family kind of adopted us and we spent most of our evenings at their house struggling to grasp the language. We attended a language school, hired a tutor, and eventually began to make some progress. After about two years, the language became familiar to us since we heard it all the time and and spoke it all the time. And over the 10 years of life in Poland, we developed a keen ear for English. (laughs) When walking in a store or sometimes uh, down the street, you would occasionally hear English and it would stand out like someone was yelling in English. Strolling down a sidewalk and hearing English, we'd sometimes stop everything and including our conversation, just to listen to the English. There was a certain familiarity and comfort that came from hearing our heart language. After 10 years, we relocated back to the States, and then we experienced the exact opposite. From time to time, we'd be in a store and hear someone speaking Polish. We'd stop everything. Sometimes we'd introduce ourselves to them and strike up a conversation just to to speak Polish again with someone. There was something familiar and heartwarming about the language of our second home. Hearing Polish in the U.S. remains a thrill for me to this day. Language and communication are the relational currency of a culture. The term heart language is used to refer to your first language, to the intimate language of the heart. Communication and language indicate something about a relationship. Every communication has a a digital component, kind of the Webster's Dictionary meeting, and then there's an analog component, the relational element. The body uh, posture, the inflection, the way you say things. Uh, Statements like it's not what you said, the digital component, it's how you said it, the analog component. This is key to understanding the relationship that God had with his prophet servant Jonah, found in the book of Jonah. The relational ministry elements that are so insightful are threefold, and they are as follows. The prophet Jonah is mentioned before his namesake book in 2 Kings 14.25, where he's described as a, quote, servant of the Lord. The term servant of the Lord is commonly applied to a prophet in the Old Testament and was a term of honor. Prophets were in the business of communicating on God's behalf, often by calling God's people to obedience, repentance, or spiritual renewal. As such, Jonah had already developed some kind of communication pattern with God before what we read in the book of Jonah. We see in the book of Jonah that this communication was honest and open, and we can see that in several interactions. The book begins with God calling Jonah to go to the great city of Nineveh with a dire message of ensuing judgment in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This would have been a difficult message to deliver to anyone, let alone in the capital city of Israel's arch enemy. 
God speaks frankly and openly about sin and judgment with Jonah. And then after the storm and subsequent fish incident, God repeats the calling a second time in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. After being swallowed by the fish and in dire straits, Jonah calls out to God in what can certainly be described as open and frank communication. He cries out to the Lord. The entire prayer parallels some of the great thanksgiving psalms of deliverance. Psalm 3, Psalm 22, Psalm 31, Psalm 42, Psalm 50, and Psalm 118. The prayer is Jonah calling, crying out to God, and then recognizing God as the source of salvation. The prayer is kind of raw, open, and very straightforward. After God extends his grace to the Ninevites in chapter 3, verse 10, Jonah communicates openly and honestly his great displeasure and anger. In fact, chapter 4, which we'll discuss extensively in an upcoming blog, is centered around an open and honest exchange between Jonah and God. Apparently, they had a relationship that allowed Jonah to speak freely, to which God responds in kind. Woven throughout the short four-chapter book is a relationship between God and his prophet that allowed for this kind of open and frank communication. Within that relationship of frank and open communication, Jonah feels that he has what our modern culture would define as a safe space for real heartfelt expression. This comes in the form of Jonah expressing suicidal desires. In Jonah 4, chapter 4, verse 3, the prophet expresses his desire for God to take his life. He states in clear terms his desire for death. This is the result of his anger and frustration with God's act of grace and mercy towards the arch enemy Ninevites. Stated simply, Jonah is so upset with God, he wishes to end his life. Bible teachers tend to focus on Jonah's misplaced anger and wrongful indignation. However, for our purposes, it should be noted that this kind of emotional expression can only occur within the context of a meaningful relationship. And finally, we note that throughout the book, God's response to Jonah is patience and guidance. He responds to Jonah's cry for deliverance, which was the result of his own disobedience, by, quote, listening to his cry, chapter 2, verse 2. He responds to Jonah's anger and death wish with a patient question for Jonah's consideration, chapter 4, verse 4. And when Jonah remains suicidally bent again, he urges Jonah to consider yet another question in chapter 4, verse 9. And in fact, the book ends with God patiently maintaining the relationship with the final question in chapter 4, verse 11. In our earlier studies of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, we identified relationship as a foundational element in transformational children's ministry. And here we see God exhibit that very same quality in his dealings with Jonah. In fact, God's relationship with Jonah is foundational to the entire book. We're going to examine the other four qualities in due course in upcoming blogs, experience, truth, discussion, and response. 
as children's workers, we're well served by not only developing relationships with children in our ministries, we would also benefit by remember remembering and applying these three qualities we've just looked at in God's relationship with Jonah. Children need open and frank conversations. We need to create a relational environment where children can speak freely and openly. There's a place for speaking freely and openly about things like pain, sorrow, and doubts in a great children's ministry. There's even a place for speaking about sin and about judgment. Children are well aware of the brokenness of our world and often see through platitudes and Christian jargon. And relational ministry means creating a safe space where children can express their genuine thoughts and feelings. Too often, our relationship with boys and girls never reaches the stage where they can express their real frustrations, fears, and concerns. We should strive to create a relational environment where they feel safe to speak what's on their mind, regardless of whether they have the right answer or the wrong answer. And finally, our relationship with children should be characterized by patience and guidance. Too often, children are concerned about saying the right things and pleasing the leaders. Like Jonah, they should know that our response will always be one of loving patience and a desire to help them grow in Christ. This Sunday, I pray that your children's ministry will be rooted in a relational approach that's characterized by these three qualities. A relational ministry of this sort is the foundation for life-changing children's ministry. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Our next Five Smooth Stones podcast will be this same time next week. To learn more about life-changing children's ministry, check out the EGM Institute website at www.egminstitute.org.